remotely. Until the end, anyway, Jim. Don't need him. Good morning, welcome to our workshop meeting, Sycamore Township, February the 18th, 2020. Uh, mark the time at 9.01. And uh, roll call, Mr. Porter. Um, Mr. LaBarber. Here. Mr. James. Here. Mr. Weedman. Present. And you have the bills, you're up first, and uh, receipts? Uh, we had uh, disbursements of 890900 $38.52, receipts of $99,173.44. I believe a complete listing is in your packet for your review. Okay, any, any questions? We'll go to the sheriff's report. You want to do the minutes? Well, the minutes, of, excuse me, approval of the minutes of the meeting. Motion to approve. Second. Amendments for February 4, 2020, trustee meeting. Any, uh, any discussion? Mr. Porter? Uh, Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weedman? Aye. Okay. Corporal Kidd, you're up. Nothing to report, sir. Nothing. Right. Okay, we'll turn it to Chief, Chief Penny. Um, I sent the January report to your email this morning. Apologize for being late, but I <clears throat> updated the report, created a database to track it this year so I can search things better than doing it in Excel. So I, I spent a couple weeks building that before I could release it, but it is out for your view as of this morning. And uh, the other thing on my agenda here is the uh, medical director that we now have, Dr. Jahanigan. He's no longer gonna be available to us. He uh, moved to Texas since he got taken out of UC. Uh, that mess that he had back in the summer. Uh, he's now in Texas, so we are in pursuit of an, a new medical director. Now, the, the bad thing about it is, is that Dr. J was doing it for nothing because he was a longtime resident of the township, but I don't think we're gonna have that luxury anymore. So, uh, with your permission, we're going to do some interviews and pursue a, a different medical director, and we'll let you know what the cost is gonna be. It, it, it's usually 
anywhere from fifteen to twenty thousand a year is what they usually cost. So uh, uh, we're, right now we're looking at uh, UC's doctor group that they have down there. They actually have a doctor group that is for medical directors. We get into that program, and um, if a doctor leaves, they just assign another doctor to us. Um, even if a doctor is not available, come out and do training or something like that, then they'll bring another doctor out. They they, they work off of a network of doctors rather than just one. We don't require our guys to go down there then. No, no. Will they come out here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, they come out. Here. Oh, good. Okay. Chief, is it usually an ER doc? Not ne well, not necessarily, but usually. So it doesn't have to be. Um, can I uh, just give you a name of somebody you might want to talk mm -hmm. talk to? Her, her name is Anita Goyle, G-O-E-L, and um, she's an ER doc at UC, and her parents live in my neighborhood. Okay. So Goyle? She's young. She she might need the money. So yeah. Yeah. that would be. Yeah. And she's, she's just had a couple of uh, kids, so it might be a good fit. I don't know. Yeah. Let me just ask a question. Can you explain what the medical director does for us? Uh, we have to, under the Academy of Medicine, with us having narcotics and uh, drugs, we have to run under a doctor's uh, license. So we're not only using their license as part of our functioning thing, but if there's any dis discrepancies in any type of run, any type of drug that's being used, <coughs> Um, if there's a, a, a problem with a run that we had where somebody dies, um, the medical director gets involved in, in find, making sure he, he's basically our cover to determine whether or not the medics did things to protocol versus um, not having anybody there to, you know, to do it. He also <coughs> has to sign off on all of our DEA usage, so any of our narcotic drugs. they. That drug, as far as DEA is concerned, that drug is assigned to that doctor, and then he transfers it to us. So we have to have that for, for any any type of narcotic that we carry or, or give. Okay. Type of thing. They also have to, um, with, the, with the Academy of Medicine, they also have to review a certain amount of runs per year to make sure that, like QAM type of thing. So, and, then, and then they'll come out and do trainings maybe like four times a year, five times a year, depending on what we ask. Okay, thank you. Let me ask also, can everyone hear everyone up here? I know in our last meeting we had some microphone difficulties. In the back, you're good? Okay, thank you. That's it, Chief? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other questions? Thank you. Roads, maintenance, Tracy Cullums? <coughs> yes, sir. So the first thing on here is the Kenwood Montgomery traffic study. You would ask that this be uh, tabled at the last meeting and brought forth for more discussion. <coughs> today uh, as far as the RFQ that we had put out for the uh, traffic at the Kenwood Montgomery intersection. <coughs> so we, we had talked a, a little about this, there had been some talk about, uh, you know, the difference between us paying for it and the developer paying for it, uh, you know, who was going to do it. Uh, you know, th this, ex uh, this really addressed an existing problem, we all know there's a problem at at Montgomery and Kenwood, the orchard area, you know, we have a development going in there uh, hopefully soon. So this would address all those issues. Uh, I mean, in my opinion, a consultant working for us, 
would handle that situation along with looking out for our citizens in the neighborhood behind it. You know, we don't want to just dump traffic on the uh, citizens that are in the neighborhood behind Orchard, you know, which for a developer, that's not really his concern. The development is his concern. Also, uh, consultants that we use also help us in uh, acquiring and securing grants for the improvements that are suggested. We've had great success with that also. Uh, you know, we've used that with uh, CMAC and STP, which is Surface Transportation Program, uh, with Montgomery Road Sidewalk, Sycamore Road. Those are just a couple of the examples. Also this year, there's an ODOT Highway Safety Program that they're paying 100% funding this year, which would include design. Uh, first submission for that is April. That would be hard to make. The second submission is September, though. So uh, we just brought that back up to talk about, I mean, the one thing if the township does it, you know, we, we really control the project and what goes on uh, in-house. Uh, if a developer does it, there's a chance that, the, you know, the county would be running it because it is Kenwood Road and, and Montgomery Road with the state. It wouldn't be our project then. So. Would we be able to control the project, though, by d doing an RFP, RFQ, some sort of process like that, specifying that neighborhood uh, traffic needs to be taken into account and that we're yes. just not going to look at it if it doesn't include those other things? Yes. So so we could exercise some control and we, still we have a developer pay for that, yes. Yeah, I think it probably could be a matter of we pick, they pay, if we get that far. So that we control the project, but we make it uh, part of the negotiation with whoever is going to ultimately develop um, that space that that's one of the costs like a reimbursement so, right yeah. well my thought at this point is let's just move forward with a price get a price from them and that's it that's that a proposal be, from them yeah that's my thought to, to get uh, sorry go ahead. Uh, well to get to that though I think we do need some specifications as to what we want to see out of it which is something we as a board may need to decide or our administrators uh, with expertise in those areas may need to decide and either present to us or we give them authority to do that. We went out for the... I mean, that was pretty much in the scope. It was in the scope, yeah. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, sure, we do have that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I would agree with Jim. I think I think we need to go move forward and try to find out what it was, what's going to cost us. And uh, um, I agree with Tracy. You know, we, we've seen other developers come in and do uh, traffic studies. And they were not always to the township benefit, and I think the township should have control of this because how critically important the uh, the Kenwood Montgomery Road um, intersection is, and we've identified that's where the bottleneck is, and so we need to figure out how to fix it. And so uh, for us to have control, I think <coughs> makes a lot more sense than to 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 have a developer come in and say, uh, "Well, yeah, here's my traffic study," and it only benefits the developer. So uh, I think the best thing for us to do is to continue to move forward on this. Agreed. Okay. Do we have a motion? Yeah, I'd put in a motion. I'll make a motion. We proceed on the uh, Kenwood Montgomery Road traffic study. Uh, Do you want to make it a little more specific? Yeah. I, I think what I heard was a motion for him to uh, get a proposal, right? Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a proposal, I think uh, that would be from TEC, I believe, correct? Mm -hmm. Second. 
Mr. Labar. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, as to TEC, that was the highest rated of the three candidates yes. from before, as I, I recall. So I think they were rated both by the township and by the and county. And by the county. Yeah. They, they so both were the first. Yeah, I just I want to note that for the record, but that, that's I'm and fine with proceeding. And we just, we're just proceeding. We're getting a quote, price quote. Right. And then we're yeah. Okay. Aye. Uh, Mr. James. Aye. Mr. Weaver. Aye. The next is the Kenwood Road Traffic Economic Impact Study that you asked. Uh, that I know you had uh, Mr. Flume put together a scope for that. Uh, we just kind of put these two together to uh, see, <coughs> talk about these and see where we are on this. Uh, you know, obviously <coughs> the, the median went in as a result of a uh, traffic study that was done in 2010. Uh, so. Uh, I know the county, I believe the county was asked for comments on this. Uh, just looking for some direction as to what you want to do with this. Uh, this would be one that, you know, I would think maybe, you know, we talk about developers doing, maybe, you know, you want the business owners to pay for this one. I mean, we did a study that recommended the median, and that's why the median was built. I mean, the median, the study didn't justify the median, the median came as a result of the study. Uh, when we first got our first submission from TEC, a, a second phase submission, there were, was not a solid median. It was several smaller medians. In a meeting with uh, Mr. Hubbard on this in, in uh, May of 2011, because we, we posted our RFQ in January of 11, in May of 11, Mr. Hubbard was the one that said, I don't want any breaks in the median. I would like to see for uh, I would like to see it as a solid median. So then we went back to TEC, told them that that was what was uh, requested by the county engineer, and then they came back to us on June 3rd of that same year, 2011, with that presentation. And then we had public meetings, two public meetings, one in June, one in August, and uh, then we didn't go out to our pre-bid meeting where we actually had. Uh, uh, developer, not developers, but contractors come in and talk to us. That wasn't until December of that year, so that was a whole year process uh, of traffic studies and putting scopes together. So, with that being said, you know, I, do we want to pay for a, a study to, to go against what our original study said? I mean, that's up to you, gentlemen. My thought right now is that. Uh, we go ahead to get the proposals out, see what comes back. Maybe nobody even wants to touch this. And uh, in the, in the uh, proposal that uh, Jack Bloom put together, we also add Eric Beck's letter that he sent us. Add those, those two together and send those out and see what we get back. <coughs> You're talking about more of an RFQ, not for a proposal. You're right. Yeah, RFQ. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and... and, and you ended by saying that we want to do a study to go against what our study said before. We want to do a study to determine what the reality of the situation is, which might go against what our study said before or might confirm it. Um, I, I think a study starting with the RFQ process makes sense as to that. It may well be a study comes back and says that despite what some of us think, the, the economic impact has been positive of that. Who, who knows? But I, I'll note the county in their response to our proposed RFQ said that they don't take economic impact into account 
when they do these. And I think it's important for our most vital economic region in the township that we do take that sort of thing into account, whether the county typically does that, looking only at traffic or not. Mm -hmm. I, I think the dilemma we have is we don't own the road. The county owns the road. I think they're pretty adamant from this email. They're pretty adamant about the fact that they are not interested in the economic impact because their only job is to ensure that there's safety along that strip, mm -hmm. along their road. And so um, while I don't have any problems going on for an RFQ, I think that for us to continue to go down this road, uh, I'm not sure how much sense it makes solely on the basis of these guys have already told us we're not cutting the median unless you can demonstrate that it's safer if we cut the median than it, and then if it doesn't, it's not cut. And the fact of the matter is I'm sure we're going to find that uh, any cut creating a left turn in any in the <coughs> other side of that road is going to definitely increase the, the or decrease the safety there. So, I mean, that's uh, the, the other thing was that when we did have uh, when we did have the uh, uh, before the median was put in at peak times we would have the uh, and he mentions it in his very first paragraph about traffic safety operations and impact on the interstate interchange with I-71 we had backed up traffic at peak times on the exit ramp northbound exit ramp to Kenwood Road all the way back stacked on the shoulder of the highway to get off that's a real safety issue. And now we're moving that traffic through the Kenwood Road corridor, which is a significant difference from where we were before. So <coughs> I'm happy to go out. I'm happy to support a, an RFQ. But the reality is I think this has been studied and studied and studied. And I think that we probably have it right here. And so um, um, we can, we can put it, go off for an RFQ and see where, where we stand. But the reality is I don't think that the changes that that some people want to make uh, by eliminating that median are uh, going to be uh, in the best interest of the safety of our not just our residents but those people who come to the Kenwood business district to shop and whatever and you may well be correct that the study will show that in the end I fully expect that any study saying opening a median and causing people to make left turns against oncoming traffic is certainly going to diminish safety in some way but there are trade-offs that are made there. I mean, we could make the road even safer by putting big, large rubber bumpers on each side of it as well. <laughs> I mean, there, there are trade-offs made in safety all the time. We could make the speed limit five miles per hour on there. That would certainly increase safety, but I think it would cause chaos. So there, there are trade-offs that are made in many ways as to that. Um, that's not to say we should diminish safety in any substantial way, certainly. But there may be some compromises in there that allow some partial opening of the median that would make sense, or perhaps not. So again, I, I agree yep. with Mr. Weedman. We proceed with the RFQ at least. Let's see where we get with this. Uh, just a point of clarification: the the document that Jack Flume did is a request for proposal. Hmm. Maybe semantics. It's not for qualifications. Uh, so if we did a request for a proposal to multiple people, uh, we would also, with that document, get the price. Okay. So I don't know if we should skip the, our, the, the one for Kenwood and Montgomery. We did a RFQ, and now we're going to get a proposal. What he drafted skips the RFQ, I, I think is the way to say it. What do you and Mr. Kellums recommend in that regard? Um, usually the first step is always RFQ to get qualifications, see what their team is that they put together, you do a rating, and then you go out for a proposal. Mm -hmm. and that's the way we've all, always done it. It's a suggested way to do it. The RFP, I think that he drafted, asks for those things. Yeah. So maybe 
it can be done in one. I, I don't know. I, I'm looking for a recommendation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> as to I would just you. do the RFP <laughs> so we don't have to meet about it an additional time. Because <laughs> I you think do the RFP, like he said, it's going to give you the same information, but it's going also going to give you what their cost is yeah. going to be, their proposal. Okay, if okay. it's going to give us the same information and more, meaning cost, then yes, I think that makes sense to go with the RFP. And then we're adding Eric Beck's letter to that. Yes. His, his involvement. Okay. Good. Are you good with that, Tom? I am. Yeah. yeah. Then I, I move we proceed with an RFP uh, for the Kenwood Road corridor uh, to conduct a, a traffic and economic study. Uh, that's sufficiently specific, Deepak. Thank you. I'll second that. Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weedman? Aye. Mr. Collins? Can the next uh, Happiness Way road closure considerations. So we've asked, you've asked that we bring this for discussion. I know we had uh, one citizen at the, at the last meeting who was concerned about the closing of Happiness Way. I believe the hospitals also mentioned something about it. Uh, you know, I, I believe you have a copy of the resolution with you that says Happiness Way will be closed. Uh, it doesn't. From what I remember, it doesn't really state when it will be closed. Is it during demo? Is it during construction also? Is it till after it's open and we check traffic? It just says the township will determine if the closure is to remain permanent. But then after that, it does say that there'll be no construction traffic of any manner on Frolic and in the neighborhood, which would include parking, standing, stopping, I don't know how you would force that on a public road if the road is open. So uh, also I believe, you know, there's, it, it, it's definitely a safety issue, I believe, <coughs> with the traveling public going through there with all that work going on. Uh, we have talked to the hospital, and I know the developers talked to the hospital too, uh, if, if the problem, if there really is a problem with that being closed I mean we can put a gate there the developer can put a gate there or we can move the gate up I would like to leave the gate by the road if you decide to move the gate up even if it's open so people don't just think that the road is completely open put the gate after the driveways so people could access that I mean there's really no public accessing that it's mainly employees that access that drive the uh, the public comes in off of Kenwood Road and off of Galbraith Road into the actual hospital, not off of Happiness Way. But uh, these are all things that we can discuss. Get the, your uh, thoughts on it. The hospital, there was the fences there. That's open now, so do you get into the hospital a lot off of Happiness? Not that off of Happiness, new. only off of Kenwood. Okay. So the Kenwood driveway attaches to that, hooks up to that same lot that the Happiness Way driveways do. Yeah, we discussed this. There were eight meetings we had. Yes. And this was, this was, I thought this was a no-brainer. I mean, everybody, it seemed like everybody agreed on it. Tracy Hughes, we, we talked on the phone yesterday. Do you want to go up to the microphone and just tell them what you had heard from the developer, what one of the rumors was or the story was going around, that the developer said um, that oh. it was permanently, or is there something? No, um. Tracy Hughes. Mm -hmm. At the meeting that the developer had in December, 
with the residents of our neighborhood just to, because construction is going to start with, you know, all get on the same page. People brought up Happiness Way, and the developer has said, we didn't close it. That's not our fight. We don't have a dog. We don't, we don't care one way or the other. That's what the township decided, so don't come to us about Happiness Way. That's what the developer told me, which is true. So, and we had many meetings, and the hospital had an issue with this. They never showed up at any that they were concerned about this. So I support keeping it closed at least through construction and then we can revisit is my opinion. I thought that this was a good uh, a good thing in the uh, in the approval of this project. I think during our discussions we we talked about the um, the closure of Happiness Way for the purpose of construction and for us to decide to open that today um, and allow all the construction workers, perhaps not in, I mean, we could restrict them as to w w how, much the weight, how much weight their vehicle is and whatever, but the reality is we're going to have construction workers going through there that are going to work, and it's a path of least resistance, so they're going to go through the neighborhood. Frolic will be a mess. They'll want to park on the road. They'll, wanna, they'll, they'll congregate on, on Frolic. That will aggravate all of the neighbors. It's just, I think it's a bad idea. If we're going to decide to do that, we need to bring the residents in to, to get a better mm -hmm. consensus as to exactly what they're thinking about whether the Happiness Way should be open or closed now, during construction, and post-construction. I'm of the opinion in that if, if we open that even post-construction, that will still be the path of least resistance for a lot of people to get to and from that complex and I don't think the neighbors will be happy with it. But I'm happy to do whatever the neighbors want. Whatever makes them the happiest is great with me. But the reality is, I think that for us to try to, to open that road now during construction, I think there are there's traffic issues, there's safety issues, there's all sorts of issues that I think would create serious problems for, for the township, for the residents, for those people who for potentially go to work at Jewish Hospital, it's just not a good idea, in my opinion. I, but I totally agree. I think when the construction's over, I think the residents, I think it was split. Some people want to keep it open, some didn't. And I think at that point, when, when you see what the project's going to be, I think then we can revisit that. That's just <coughs> my Thank you. We, we also have. Uh, money from the developer to do a traffic study uh, which is, they have already given to us and that traffic study was going to be done after the development is over mm -hmm. so we can see what the impact of the traffic from the development is on the neighborhood and that makes sense i i had asked we put this on the agenda this week after uh, ms gannis had raised it in our last evening meeting i've heard from her and others in the neighborhood both pro and con as to this frankly uh, it's something that I think we would need neighborhood input on either through, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty limited population there, either through surveying them at some point or having a public hearing uh, and, and getting input that way before making a permanent decision once the project is finished. But Mr. Warwick and I had a meeting earlier this week and a nice tour as well at Jewish Hospital meeting their president and vice president, and they were very concerned about lack of access to their driveways off of Happiness Way. Our, our specifications that are up on the screen there as to what was going to happen is Happiness was going to be closed west of the proposed access point to it from the development. 
um, not entirely. Now, I will say, looking back at the, the myriad of construction drawings and architectural drawings that were also approved as part of this plan, there's a dim outline of a fence, uh, partly where they have one now on one of those drawings. But this seems to be at odds with that somewhat in terms of what we uh, propose there anyway. I, I don't know that it's unreasonable to have them push that back in some way, or as Mr. Kellum suggested, leave the gate there at Kenwood open, but have it or Kenwood Road, but have it open in some way for hospital access. The, the problem that the hospital people expressed to us was that on that side of the hospital, the ambulance is competing for traffic with workers who are coming in and out as well through the entrance from Kenwood Road. And they've already got a pretty tight driving perimeter around there as it is. So the loss of those driveways has made it even tighter and a potential safety issue. Um, they, they stressed they'd really like that reopened if it's possible. So would it be possible to do two things, uh, either leave the gate there and leave it open, I don't know if that deters others from coming in or not, or push the gate back in some way with a, a sign that says hospital access only there. Um, and, and secondarily, is there pedestrian access from Frolic, from Frolic forward along the sidewalk? Because the fence, did it encroach across the sidewalk too? Okay, so you can walk from can Frolic walk safely from Frolic. to Kenwood Road. Yeah. Okay, all right, then, th then that's not a concern. Um, but in terms of enabling access for the hospital, they seemed pretty concerned about that. Mr. Warwick, was there anything else you, you heard that I didn't mention? Yeah, they also use those two driveways for deliveries and those kinds of things, and that's throwing them off. Um, and that gate wouldn't have to be, those two driveways are very close to Kenwood Road. Yeah. So, um, uh, it could be that just by moving that gate back and letting them have the access, um, uh, maybe that could work. But we, we did talk to the hospital about safety concerns and they understand that. I can definitely see it being a problem with delivery. So I was down there one day and they had a semi in there pulled all the way up to it. Mm -hmm. And obviously he had to back all the way out sure. because there's no gate. So I can definitely see that being a problem. Like it wouldn't be easy to maneuver semi in reverse through that parking lot and all yep. those islands. Yeah. I, is there anything we can do about that? And does doing something about that require a trustee vote, or is that an administrative thing? Uh, because frankly, our let me finish. Our approval yeah, already says close it, you know, west of the construction point, mm -hmm. not east. So what can we do? I don't think it would require a trustee vote. We would talk to the developer. We. I would like to leave the gates that are there now, like I said, so it, it appears that the road is closed, so you don't get a lot of traffic pulling in that has to now turn around, put an additional set of gates past the hospital driveway, if, if that's what it is you want, or they can even put gates on the hospital driveway. But, I mean, I'm assuming that they I want 24-hour access to that. Yeah, I think that's so. That's just going to be a daytime thing, I wouldn't think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so if a gate is just there for show at the roadway, maybe that's a deterrent, maybe not, maybe a sign that just says hospital access yeah. and construction access only does the same thing. I, that, that's something, okay. use your best discretion for and talk to the hospital if you would so we can accommodate their concerns for safety as well. I'll take care of it. Thank you. Mr. Collins. So the next thing, uh, our Parks Advisory Committee applicants and uh, Charter Direction. And I have uh, Mr. Petty in here today. 
I believe you've all received a copy of what we were looking to do with, with, the, uh, with the committee. Uh, we, we currently have, you know, we had asked for six people with Mr. Petty being the chair and being the seventh person on that uh, advisory committee. And uh, we currently have eight applicants throughout all areas of the township. So I just wanted to bring this to you to see if you had comments about the, uh, the, the charter that was put together and uh, if you wanted to move on this now or continue to keep it open for more resumes. So just looking for some direction. So I have not received any of those resumes. Um, I don't know if you two I have not. I've uh, seen uh, some, but not all. So I think it might be prudent to have those distributed to the trustees for review, and ultimately I'll make sure Jason has them, and ultimately I think, Jason, we would like a recommendation from you as to if you maybe you meet with them and talk to them and, and uh, try to determine what how to best form your, form your group, I think would be uh, uh, an advantage for us. So this uh, advisory committee and, and charter, Mr. Warwick, you put this together, didn't you? No, we uh, got that from uh, somewhere. Genius? Yeah, so we, we looked all over the place. That, that is an adaptation of what we received from Xenia. Mr. Petty and myself went over that and put okay. that together. Okay. Uh, if this is going to be the charter of the committee, I think it's something the trustees need to vote on and approve. Then. Absolutely. And, and I, I have reviewed this. It's satisfactory to me. So I, I will go ahead and move that uh, the board approve the document here, uh, which uh, forms the charter of the Sycamore Township Parks Advisory Committee and the rules stated therein. I'll, be, I'll second. Mrs. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weedman? Aye. May, may I make a request also? Mr. Petty, could you? We have some members of the public here, and we're making video as well, and, and, um, and, and I'd like to know, too, can you explain what it is you've been doing uh, with parks over the last few years of your employment and how you've transitioned into this role and, and what you're doing now? And you probably should come to the microphone to do that if you could. Thank you. My name is Jason Petty. I've uh, been working here since 2009. I am the uh, supervisor, the Parks and Public Spaces Supervisor for Sycamore Township. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've kind of taken over a supervisory role that we didn't really have at the township. It was myself and two temporary employees that would go around to all maintenance of the parks, administrative complexes, <coughs> any of our right-of-way mowing. And in the last few years, we've actually added a crew to the grass cutting that does the right-of-way mowing. So now I'm actually uh, taking care of scheduling all of the grass mowing for the parks and the uh, right-of-way mowing, also scheduling all of the, uh, the ball field maintenance and scheduling of the uh, short sports complex with uh, Nick Chapshaw. And I also do the uh, fertilizing program that we have here in-house. So we do our uh, fertilizing program. I, I control that. Or I, And the uh, Parks Advisory Committee, I believe, is going to be new this year. I think it was shut down last year, I think, from lack of just the people out there showing up or whatnot. So it's kind of a new thing that I've been uh, asked to, to look at. And, uh, you know, other than that, scheduling all of the operations for the parks is pretty much what I've been in the last few years. 
Does that include scheduling usage of the fields as well? Or yeah. did, uh, well, okay. that's, that's going to be new to me this year after Mike McEwen retired. So mm. that has been something that I've been doing here recently, mm. uh, scheduling all the ball fields and everything. Mm. Well, thank you. And scheduling something like the car show, anything that anything that Mike was doing aside from scheduling the uh, community room at Shuler mm. and the uh, shelters at that point. Mm. I've pretty much been ready to take, take over. Jason, our next uh, workshop is March 3rd. Do you think you can uh, uh, give us a, a summary of your six that you pick out of the group yeah, at that time? Yeah, and then we'll get we'll get the bios on each each individual. Okay. Okay. I can do that. Good. Good. Thank you. Yep. Now that is also still on the website. So would you like us to continue it? I, I think so, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think we should keep soliciting new applicants e even after we form a board. I think it's useful to have that out there. We may get interest from other people as well. This is the sort of thing where we need to get people's attention over it, and yes. I'm a little surprised we've only gotten eight applications mm -hmm. so far. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we could make a renewed push on social media as well, again, uh, just noting, hey, here's the opportunity, and we're looking to make some decisions soon. We have our newsletter coming up also, of course, which... Uh, Ms. Gunderson, what's our expected in the mail date for that? Um, in the middle of March. Okay. Uh, we may want to consider whether we wait for that to go out too with a notice in that as to this. That might get some more attention from people who I don't think that's look at electronic media. Yeah, I, I don't want to make a, a rash decision of just sure. picking some people suddenly as opposed to trying to get a, a bunch <laughs> of people to apply for it first so we know who's out there. Um, but we do need to get things moving with parks as, as summer's coming around especially too so we can't wait too long i still would like to see your picks of your your top six okay yeah. at the next workshop when we talk about mm -hmm. it and i do there there are three that i don't have resumes for if if you guys want to have them available for everybody there are, i have only a few that i don't have a resume for We'll get them. Okay, yeah. and, and let me add this to that point, though. When we're looking for citizens to advise as to things, it's nice to have a resume when one's available, but we, we want some, some average people in, in the township who are doing this who may not normally prepare resumes for various things. So if they can state their qualifications in some other way, I don't know that we should strictly require a, a resume from people. There may be retired people who haven't put one of those together for years, for example. I think we're using Just the term resume generically. Yeah. So I think any, any kind of information that they can give us on their background would be helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, if I might. Especially even, so I, I know part of the thing that we were looking at was areas from the township. So even if it was the main address, which is probably traditional, like maybe how long they live in the township. Mm -hmm. So that's really all I would. And that, that's probably something we want to weigh too, because if we have a we have two from the same area, and they're both really outstanding. And somebody that's a little weaker from another area, maybe we want to go with the two from the other area. You know, pick the best candidates rather than necessarily bound by that uh, restriction of the area where they live. All right, any, any other questions? We move on. You all done, Trace? Oh yeah. You are done. Okay. With law director now, be parked beside. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I have uh, something to pass out just so people can take a look at what we're talking about. There should be enough for everyone here and out there in the audience. And this way as well. So um, as everyone may recall, um, the 
CIG development is a development that the township is interested in forming a joint economic development district for. And uh, Deer Park, the city of Deer Park, has um, agreed to partner with us for that district. Uh, there's a process to setting up the district, um, and one of the process items is we have to have uh, a public hearing, and then one of the other process items is we have to circulate a petition. So on the handout that I just gave you under item one, you'll see under A, it says that we have to hold a public hearing, and B, we have to circulate a petition. The public hearing is kind of self-explanatory. Um, it needs to be held uh, here at the uh, township hall. Uh, as you can see in number two, there's 30 days of advance notice to the public required. Uh, that notice is to be published in a newspaper of general circulation, such as the Inquirer. Um, and during the notice period, uh, in uh, Mr. Porter's office, um, uh, there's supposed to be certain documents that you see delineated there in little i, two little i's, and <coughs> three little i's. But basically, it's the contract between Deer Park and the township. Uh, it's a description of the district area along with the map. And I can tell you the contract that we have put together does have attached to it as an exhibit um, the a map of the area uh, because that's required by statute. Um, and then um, the final item is a schedule for the collection of tax, which we'll probably need to get from the city of Deer Park because they would be the ones collecting the tax. Um, but basically, that's the first piece of it is um, the public hearing uh, piece of it. Um, and again, notice 30 days, publish it in a newspaper, and have the documents available for the public during that 30-day time period. Um, the third piece of it, or the sorry, the second piece of it, item three, is the petition requirements. Um, and basically, we have to circulate that to property owners uh, within the district and business owners. Um, I will confirm this with uh, Mr. Miller, uh, but my view of the uh, area map would indicate that there are no residents that are going to be in the Joint Economic Development District, so I would see that petition primarily just going to business owners there, and as I understand it, there might just be one. Yes. <laughs> and do we do a petition and Deer Park does a petition, or can we petition together? Uh, there's only one petition. So we could take the lead on that, and they would not need to do that. Okay. Yeah. There, uh, and that's an actually a really good point that Mr. Ward has made. However, both bodies have to have their own public hearings. So they're, they're prepared to do that. So um, I did put in, <coughs> you know, in item four just some things maybe kind of looking forward. Um, the Board of Trustees does not need to submit um, the resolution that would come after the hearings approving the contract to the electors, provided, as it says in 4A, there is a unanimous vote to approve the JED, the Joint Economic Development District. Um, and then, of course, the other two minor things that you complied with the petition requirement, you got the signature, and that the area is properly zoned for the project that's going up there. Um, any questions, gentlemen? Nope. 
Actually, I have one. I understand there may be a change in ownership as to the commercial building there as construction begins, as to the land under it. I don't know where that falls in our process, but it may not be too far out with demolition coming. How does that affect the petition and the hearings and so forth if one owner signs and then there's a change in ownership? We would go with the owner of record according to Cages on the day that we sent the petition. Okay. We, we need to make sure we're in line with that in terms of our timing then and yeah. move ahead on this. Yeah, yeah. so, you know, um, and that would apply really to any type of notice that we would send out for the township, say, for example, for a BZA hearing. You know, it, it's possible a sale could be pending, um, but we always go with the record owner. Mm -hmm. But um, that's good to note, and uh, maybe we'll touch base with Belton uh, just to make sure we're out in front of that. Yeah, and, and just for the public's reference as well, part of the plan uh, that I understand Capital Investment Group has is the commercial building is going to be developed by another developer on the site. Uh, so they plan to transition ownership of that ground to them as part of that, which is not uncommon in, in large multi-use projects, I understand. Capital has indicated, that, to me at least, uh, that they plan to keep ownership of the residential part of it after they construct it. They're not spinning it off somewhere, but the commercial building will be built by someone else. Okay. That's all I have, sir. Okay. Ray Warwick, our administrator, right? Yes, yes. The first item is the electronic check signing. We did uh, touch base with the uh, state auditor's office to see if we could convert from. I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I back up just a minute? If we have to have a public hearing, should we go ahead and schedule that now, or do we need to wait for the petition? Because, again, timing could be a concern if there's going to be an ownership change there. Sorry to interrupt, Ray. <laughs> my, my plan was to touch base with Mr. Warwick um, about what kind of leg time we needed to get the notice together and the publication out in the newspaper, and then set a hearing date based on a reasonable time to allow that to occur. Okay. So uh, if it's all right with everybody, I'll work with Mr. Warwick and Mr. Miller to get that squared away, and then we'll confirm with everybody that that works with their schedule. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> and we'll coordinate with Deer Park so that we're we're in the same time frame. They're they're waiting for the instructions from us, but we'll take care of that. So electronic uh, uh, check signing. Uh, like I say, we we checked this through the auditor's office to see if we can convert to having the checks electronically signed and then you folks wouldn't have to manually sign the checks anymore and the ultimate approval of uh, being able to issue those checks of course comes from the board because you'll still uh, have a motion uh, to pay bills and uh, uh, Mr. Porter always signs off on the check register so that's in line with the the, the way it can be done. So if you want to move in that direction, I have a form for all four of you to sign today so we can uh, get that set up in the computer. Just, um, Ray talked to me about this from uh, the beginning, and I'm, I'm open to doing it. I have no problem with uh, It's a pain for us all to... Uh, signed checks, I acknowledge that. The reason that it was done that way is in a past audit, you know, not necessarily four years ago, maybe 12 or 16 years ago, the auditor, I, I broached this subject with the auditor because none of us like spending an hour signing checks. But uh, the auditor told me at that time that, you know, we couldn't do it, we had to, uh, 
he didn't like uh, electronic signatures, so to speak. I guess with the passage of time, the auditor's uh, feeling on that has changed. I've reviewed the things that uh, Ray sent out, and it, uh, you know, the way we have it, the way he proposes to set it up would meet the requirements of the auditor, and I have no objection to doing it that way. Uh, but it is, as I say, it's up to you guys whether you want to uh, review e each check and, uh, you know, see it before you sign it going out. But I have no problem with the electronic version. It, it, it is more efficient, no question. In doing it, and something I think we should do, we, we each of the trustees for the public's reference gets a report uh, in advance of these meetings as to checks that are going to be signed to go out. I, our accounting system is a little dodgy I think and it's reporting frankly it's kind of hard to read some of this I know it's it's best we can do right now but um, it, it would be helpful to at least have this and have us certainly approve signature on these checks electronically based upon the report we're given in, in advance um, perhaps that's an additional audit control or do you think that's necessary what's that uh, I mean, we're, we're going to have to approve this anyway. I, I'm thinking out loud, sorry, here. We're, we're going to have to approve this anyway as to these checks, correct, right. or, or not? Well, but if there are expenses under 2500 we don't need a PO for it. Right. Um, I, I just want to make sure we still have sufficient audit controls in place. Do you well, the way, the way we do it now is before we even do a check, we have a, uh, you know, an administrator or department head initial the... Uh, the invoice that it's okay to pay and so uh, you know it, the check is attached to the invoice so you can look at the invoice and see that it was signed off on by uh, the department head mm -hmm. and then sign it that's what takes the time frankly to uh, to do all this thing um, we can put it in any you know the list I have is much more readable when, than what you have here the one in the office is more readable mm -hmm. So yeah, we can do it however you want, but uh, I agree with Ray that it would be much more efficient to do it with the, uh, uh, you know, with the electronic signature. Oh, yeah, I agree. And yeah. with you, and then as I say, we'll still have the invoice initialed by the, so if you see something on the list that you say, hey, their U.S. bank credit card, there was 20000 spent this month. Well. We all know what that was. There was six high expenses on that for the convention, but um, you could see that it was signed off by somebody. Mm -hmm. That somebody looked at that and said, "Well, th these are legitimate expenses." Mm -hmm. Signed off on it, then we issue a ch issue a check, and then the the amount shows up on the list. Mm -hmm. So, oh, okay. that's the, the I mean that's the me mechanics of it. I, yeah. We're not going to change that. Mm -hmm. so. The, the other control we would need, and this is a minor point, but something I encountered recently, I put in for my tax refund from the CIC for money paid into the JEDs, and I, of course, can't sign a check to myself. There are other checks that might incidentally be paid for reimbursement or other things to trustees. We'd want to make sure someone's signature isn't electronically applied to a check payable to them. Those will be manual checks. Okay. All CICs are going to be manual? Well, uh, not all, they don't, not all of them, but if, if a check goes to uh, uh, Tom Jane. Uh, it'll, it'll be, it'll be pulled out. Pulled out and then uh, uh, 
Tom Weaver and Jim LaBarbera. Well, it's much it. much easier to sign one manual check than hundred. Yeah. 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 So that's that's fine. Yeah, it's not uncommon that when townships go to this method that you'll still have a a, a, a handful of manual checks here and there. I'm absolutely 100% behind it. It's 2020. We move on. Electronic age. Absolutely. Just want to point out that Mr. Porter has lost 30 pounds. So congratulations to you. This is the beginning of the year. Not many people have noticed. But that's <laughs> I'm sitting here just noticing, thinking you look better. But good work. <laughs> Can we have? It must mean I was really fat before. <laughs> He, he used to wear, he wore it off signing all those checks. That's right. Can, should we have a motion to move to the electronic signing and then I'll. I, I'll move that we move, sorry, I move that we uh, adopt electronic signing. Ah, <laughs> can't speak today. I move that we adopt electronic signing of our township checks in accordance with the auditor's recommendations in the township handbook. Uh, to remove the need to manually sign most checks going forward. I'll second. Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weaver? Aye. Thank you. Uh, second item is uh, Focus Capital Solutions Consulting Agreement. This is uh, the lobbyist group that's housed in Taft Law. Um, I was unaware that, that we had this, but uh, we've had it for some time. Um, I met with uh, George Glover, I believe it is, um, who runs this thing, and we, I, my questions were simply, well, what, what do we get? I think we're paying $2,000 a month. What do we get for that? And he talked about some historical things that he, that, uh, he may have helped with. Um, I don't know that he pinpointed anything specifically. Well, I know he didn't, that he just did for Sycamore Township. He tends to work on things that if we wanted something, it would benefit other townships. Um, uh, there, was nothing, there was no really pressing thing on the horizon um, that we would use him for. Uh, we kind of just, as we were talking, he said, you know, if the trustees wanted to end the contract, he said, I think that's fine. Uh, because you can always engage me on a project uh, basis, and he's he's comfortable if you wanted to go in that direction. Uh, to uh, end the contract, we could let we could do the rest of this year, or if we gave him notice, we would have to pay him for uh, three more months. I'm I'm for terminating the agreement with him. I'm I'm confused as to why we have this. I've been a trustee for more than two years and I had no idea and I understand that this uh, this man actually worked in Columbus to uh, work on eminent domain for action against one resident uh, I'm, I'm surprised that we have somebody on a payroll for two thousand dollars a month to do this uh, I think we can use him if we need him on a per item basis I was surprised to learn about this when I first learned about this about a week ago that we've had a lobbyist on payroll. I, I went back and looked at prior township actions and the minutes reflected that in 2013, I believe it was, uh, actually early as 2009, the township explored hiring a lobbyist, uh, actually signed the first contract in late 2013 
with this lobbying company. Um, I think we've been paying $2,000 a month since then. I'm not certain of the amounts early on and if that changed when it was, it was less. Okay, in 2017, the trustees approved a renewal of the contract, and according to Ohio Checkbook, at least, from looking at that, we paid $72,000 in lobbying expenses through December of this past year, just since the start of 2017. Before that, perhaps it was a little bit less. Um, I, I don't know what we're getting out of this. I'd, I'd like to know that. Mr. Weidman, you were part yeah, of adopting. So Can you explain? So um, uh, we hired him back, as, as you probably know, as an unincorporated area in, 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 as in a township, as an unincorporated area in, um, in the state of Ohio. We are at the mercy of the state legislature for everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. They make all our rules. They change all our rules. And so um, when we had um, uh, we had some issues going back to the JEDZ, the JEDs that we put in place, um, as you probably know, they don't exist anymore except for those that grandfather. And um, George Glover was extremely instrumental in allowing us to work with Representative Shuring to get through that process prior to the elimination of, of the Joint Economic Development Zones. We were one of the last last joint economic development zones in the state of Ohio that were approved prior to then eliminating them. Um, when in the process of eliminating joint economic development zones, um, they were, uh, they also went to um, change the joint economic development districts of which we are about to establish one right now. Um, at that time, I had expressed interest to George and said, look, George, before they start changing all those rules, they continue to take tools out of our toolbox as townships. We have very few as it is. And when you continue to take tools out of our toolbox, it creates a problem for our townships. And so I went and said, look, George, I want you to set up a meeting with Representative Sheeran. He's going to be the author of this bill. Before he does anything, I want to make sure that I have input on that. So he set up a meeting downtown. I met with Representative Sheeran. I gave him uh, five or six points that I was interested in making sure that, that were included in the new legislation. And all, all of those were included in the new legislation. Um, when we had the Cincinnati Waterworks um, situation where, the, where Cincinnati Waterworks wanted to increase unfairly the, uh, the, the, uh, rate of, uh, the rate for water for townships, uh, George was very instrumental in, allowing, in helping me to get through some of the process so that we, uh, with, with different individuals, so that we could eventually get to John Cranley and make a deal with John Cranley. Um, as you know, the OTA represents all townships, all 1,308 townships in, in, in Ohio. What they, and they do, they represent those townships that are uh, size like 500 residents very well because they have unique, totally different, different um, issues than large urban townships. We do have a group called Clout, which is a large urban townships. Um, they do a fair job, but the reality is if you want to control your own destiny, you need an advocate in the legislature to do so. And George has been an advocate for us in the legislature on various issues. Um, there, was a, there was an issue about uh, the building permits, and I know you two gentlemen didn't necessarily think that was a good idea, but when, when, you, when you hear um, when you hear the, the challenges that developers have in getting building permits out of the county, um, and that's all about economic development, and I mean, we hear it from the, we hear it from the 
Kenwood Town Center is the same thing. They, they have issues all the time with, it, with the building permit. So whether you like it or you don't like it, the fact of the matter is these are the kind of things that George does uh, as our representative, as our advocate with the, with the, um, with the legislature in an effort to ensure that we, are gonna, we, we can help control our own destiny versus letting somebody else control our destiny. So that's, that's, a, little, that's a synopsis of just some, some of the things that have occurred. I, I don't question the wisdom of hiring him early on for the JEDS project especially. I, th I think that makes sense, frankly. The, the, I guess the concerns I have now, first of all, do we still need him, in your opinion? Um, I'll, I'll, yield, I'll yield to, uh, to you two on that. I, frankly, I think that it's always beneficial to have somebody being your eyes and ears with the legislature in, in, in Columbus. Mm. So for what he what he has done for us versus what we have paid for him we have been the significant significant winners in this deal so the question is would you like to continue to have an advocate I think it's not a bad idea to have an advocate in the legislature only because once again they control our destiny <coughs> we do not make the rules they do <coughs> and so if we have if we have the ability to continue to help form those rules it's a benefit to Sycamore Township Okay, and my other thoughts are as to that. I, I, I think as needed, I understand he'd still be available for that on an individual basis. Mr. Warwick has a lot of connections there as well. But my, my bigger concern about all this is just looking back through the minutes, trying to figure out what the history of this guy was when I learned about it. Um, that he seems to be a very effective advocate for the township and for his other clients. But being an advocate means you're advocating a position, which means you're taking a position, which means someone needs to tell you what that position is to take on behalf of the township. And there's no record of the decision-making body of the township adopting positions to ask him to take in doing that. And my fellow trustee, Mr. LaBarbera, who's been on this board for two years, didn't know this guy was under contract with us or that we even had him available. So. Who was telling him what positions to advocate? Because it wasn't by a vote of the Board of Trustees over the last several I years. I believe that was our administrator. Okay, well, there, again, there's no record and of they, the position. I'm sure that it was the administrator based on what the trustees were asking him to, to go forward with. So. But there's been no vote as to positions to be taken, has there? Um, well, the Cincinnati Water Works, I didn't know that you told Vickery to tell him to go ahead and do this and work with you. No, 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 no. I, I worked with George. I asked George to facilitate a number of meetings, including the, the original meeting with John Cranley, of which he did. So, And that was a good thing. That, that's not something I would come to the board and say, look, do you think it's okay if I meet with John Cranley to try to work out a deal on water? That's not what I would come to the board for. So that's, a, that's one, of, one example. Right. It, my, my point is if he is lobbying, on the other hand, or advocating for particular changes or lack of changes in legislation before the legislature, taking a position like that is something that the board, I think, would need to vote upon to do that. that that's why I was surprised to learn we had this contract, because lobbyist implies he's lobbying for something, and that something needs to be publicly decided. It, it seems we don't need him currently, at least, and I, I think we should terminate the contract at this point for that reason. If we need to bring him back on board, he, he's, no question he's very capable at doing what he does and a great resource to have and could be very helpful to us. But I think that at this time right now, we don't need to continue with this. Okay. So, so did we have a motion pending yet? Well, I don't know exactly. That did. The, the eminent domain, he did do the eminent domain, didn't he? 
I'm not familiar with. I'm not familiar with what you're talking about in the eminent domain. Eminent domain to Mr. Pancero to threaten him that he could put a garage in his site on his site. I've never even heard of that. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no clue what you're talking about. You did not eminent domain from. You were going to take his building. You could take his building by. Mr. LaBarbera, the the thing that. Mr. Glover worked on an intermittent domain was uh, state legislation. It wasn't. It wasn't based on any specific. Any specific incident. So yeah, it had nothing to do with that. But but it it was some adjustment in intermittent domain, and I I didn't go back and see what that was. But yes, he did work on that. For the record, Mr. LaBarbera, I have no idea what you're talking about. There was never any threat of eminent domain that I know of in Sycamore Township in the 14 years I've been a trustee. Never. Well, so I have no idea what you're talking about, and I think Ray has already explained. Okay, I, I it, was mean, a, it was a general eminent domain subject and not having to do with anybody in our township. So for that, that should be on the, make sure we get that on the record. Well, please. make sure you're on the record, too, that I can bring somebody in here and we can discuss that if you would so desire. I'd love to. So if I could suggest we were at the point where we were trying to decide whether to entertain a motion to terminate the contract with Focus Capital Solutions, LLC, and I believe Mr. James is ready to make a motion. Yes, I move that we terminate the contract with Focus Capital Solutions, LLC. And I'll second that. Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weaver? Aye. Thank you. Next on the agenda is employee handbook language. We don't have any language. We thought we were going to have some today to bring forth. I, I uh, asked about having some language in our employee handbook that described uh, the township's responsibility and the employee's responsibility with respect to political activity. Many, many townships around the state have language like this in their handbooks. And I think everybody understands the First Amendment challenges that come up when somebody uh, goes down that path. So we're working on it. We can produce, uh, well, we have produced language from uh, several townships where they've put things in their, in their handbook. Um, and uh, I've asked Deepak to try to come up with language that we could use to address this um, in a way that we wouldn't be totally hanging out there um, and have something that's totally uh, unenforceable or uh, inappropriate, and uh, we don't have the language yet today. Mr. Work, for the record, you said many townships have uh, language. I'm not sure that that's accurate. Uh, do you have any... Uh, statistics on that at all? I don't know how many, uh, but um, uh, we have several examples already. Several examples, but there's 1,308 townships. I'm yeah. just curious if you, do you have a, do you have a statistics on how many actually put I that do, in there? I do not. Okay. Um, can I ask you this political activities uh, uh, language? Who wrote this? That was adopted from one of the, the, uh, uh, the, the some language we got from another township. I don't remember exactly which one. And then I wrote some, uh, a couple of the sentences on there. Okay. Let me, ju let me just say for the record, I am adamantly opposed to 
abridging the, the First Amendment rights of our, of our employees. Absolutely opposed to it. This subjects the township to potential litigation and financial liability. This is not a bro this is really not broken. I'm not sure why we're trying to fix something that's not broken. Number one, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to prohibit our employees from. Uh, what are we going to employ? Uh, rather, what are we going to <coughs> prohibit our employees from next? Are we going to restrict their religion because they don't like to practice they, the religion they practice? This, to me, where does this end? I, I don't totally understand it. I would suggest that what, what a person does on their own time is none of my business and should be none of the township's business as well. If they're on their own time, they can do as they choose. They can practice the religion they want. They can choose everything that they want to do without us restricting them. Um, our employees took a job with the township. We never told them when they took the job with the township that we were going to come back and restrict their, free, their freedom of, uh, their, or their First Amendment rights. We never told them that. For us to suggest that this is a good idea to put in our handbook now is offensive to me. It's absolutely offensive. Um, I cannot support this. I, I cannot support restricting our, our, our residents' First Amendment rights. This is America. They can do, do as they choose. And that's the beauty of living in this country. So for, for to suggest that it's a good idea to restrict their First Amendment rights is offensive to me. I would agree. I don't want to restrict our employees' First Amendment rights either, but I do want to protect them from undue influence. The federal government for many years has had what's called the Hatch Act, and most states have what are called mini-Hatch Acts, named after uh, the promulgator of that bill. But what it does is it protects employees of governmental bodies from being coerced into politicking for their bosses uh, and from having that pressure. And that has been something that as a resident I've witnessed appearing to happen in the township in the past and I'd like to protect our employees from those pressures. What they do on their own time outside of the township is, is their own business frankly but they shouldn't be pressured by their boss uh, here in the township or even feel that pressure even if it's not there in having to campaign for their boss at some point or do political activities. That's apparently been a long-standing tradition in Hamilton County offices, not just in Sycamore Township, but I don't think it's right. I think people should be free to go out about their jobs without worrying about what their boss thinks about what they think about things that have, to have nothing to do with their job. So that's why this has come up. But we need to find a, a useful balance there where we're not in infringing on people's First Amendment rights. Mr. Desai has done some research on this already, and I think you, you found some information about compelling government interest in this regard. Perhaps you should share that. Well, no, you know what? We're going down a path that we haven't started yet. We're still getting research on this. But I want to point out that in, in objections to, uh, with all due respect to Mr. Weedman, when I ran in 2017, Tracy Cullums stood in front of Deer Park High School all day long. He was then, in less than a month, rewarded with a contract that is a perpetual contract of over $100,000 a year. And he was given a raise of over $5,500. Every person, every township worker who was out there working the polls received a raise of over 5%. I think when you have a situation... That's not true. That is true. That's it's true. true. This year is true for sure. 5.8% to Steve. Then I, that's true. Just look at the, look at the payroll. But that's exactly what happened. You did get a raise of over $5,500 and a contract that was no no super road supervisor in the state of Ohio has a contract like that. But that happened directly after that. I think there's due pressure on employees 
if you're working, if Joe, Joe Jones is working and Joe Smith is next to him, or I'm going to volunteer and help out, then you're going you're to feel the pressure. So I think there is pressure. Uh, and I think in the past, I, I know that there was one trustee uh, who said, hey, this is an at-will township. We can, you know, and that was perceived as a threat. So I think this has gone on long enough in the Sycamore Township. This year, we didn't have that much. And you, you have said in the past, they can vote and support the candidate they want. Well, they don't even live in the township. Over the years, people who are working the polls didn't even live in the township. So that's all I have to say. But we're, there, we're, we're, we're not far enough along on this to discuss this yet. We're still waiting. We have our time we lawyers looking at this also. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, there are two different things we're discussing. And, and the first piece is really non-controversial as far as First Amendment rights go, which is uh, if the township, and again, so everyone understands, you know, the, the Board of Trustees is the legislative branch of the township. It enacts policy. Uh, Mr. Warwick is the chief executive officer, for lack of a better term, who, through his staff, administers the policies that the uh, trustees hand down. And I, as the law director, for lack of a better analogy, act as the judiciary branch, where I try to let people know the legal aspects of what they're, they're thinking about doing. So the first piece about letting employees know that um, there's no um, effect on their job with regard to um, uh, supporting or not supporting um, levies, candidates, whatever. That is a noble aspiration, and I think everyone's going to agree that that should be the way it's run. That you should be based, your job should be based on how you perform, the needs of the township, and the revenue that's available to to fund that position. So that's the first piece of the policy that, that uh, we're discussing, which in my opinion is very non-controversial because it, it doesn't touch on the First Amendment at all. It's just letting everybody know that we're gonna judge you based on how you do your job and the other factors I mentioned. Um, the second piece of it, just very briefly, um, th there is a balancing. Um, government is allowed to restrict your speech to some extent. You can't go into a movie theater and yell fire. They're allowed to stop you from doing that. Uh, and there are obvious reasons for that. Um, but there's all this analysis the courts goes into, but what it comes down to basically is the courts have said, hey look, we think governments have a compelling interest to um, make sure that their work environments remain apolitical, remain neutral. And we're going to allow you in your manuals to restrict employees for that purpose. The catch is how you do it. You can't just throw out a phrase and let everybody wonder what that means. If you say you can't engage in political activity, does that mean I can't put a bumper sticker on my car? Is that political activity? Or does it mean I can't work the poll? And that's where the courts <coughs> draw the line. They just basically say, hey, we recognize there's a compelling interest but you gotta be very specific, and there are certain things you can't cross. For example, you can't tell an employee they can't have a conversation with their neighbor about which candidate they might support. They're allowed to do that. Um, you can't tell an employee's family member that they can't express their views. That goes too far. You can't stop an employee from making posts on social media entirely. So. That's where, where the, the rub lies. It, it's, we have to be very specific. 
and we have to be careful that what we do is narrowly tailored to serve that legitimate, compelling government interest to keep the work environment neutral. Up next, um, uh, I skipped over an item, oh, I'm got, sorry. Oh, yeah, the Hamilton County Public Health District yeah. Advisory Council, they, they, uh, they asked that the uh, chairman of the board be a member, the chairman of the township board be a member of that or uh, have somebody else appointed. I think Mr. LaBarbera has said that he would be happy to be a, a member of that board. Yes. Yes. Do we need a motion for that, Deepak? No. I don't think we do. No. Okay. This is, this is a, uh, I've served the last 14 years on this. This is just a representative of the, of each township because we, uh, we contract with uh, uh, Hamilton County Public Health District is our health inspector. Health inspector. So we we um, we vote on board members and that kind of thing. So they have an annual once they have a mandatory annual meeting, which of which this is at March 9th. If I may, I, I think we probably do need a motion appointing someone, then investing that authority in them just as a legal matter. I agree. Okay. I agree. Go ahead. Yeah. So I I, I move that we appoint uh, Mr. LaBarbara as the board's designated representative to the Hamilton County Public Health District Advisory Council. Second. Uh, Mr. LaBarbera? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Wheatman? Aye. And then lastly, uh, put back on the uh, agenda, township email notices and newsletters. We had a brief discussion about that last time. I think Mr. James? Right. I, I had asked that we place this on the agenda simply because I would like us to be moving ahead with that and with our uh, with with some sort of better email noticing uh, as a form of newsletter in addition to our printed one, which I think we need to continue. There are a lot of people who simply don't read email, a lot of older residents especially who prefer mail and some younger ones too. Um, but with our newsletter deadline coming up and our newsletter coming out in March, that's an ideal opportunity to start soliciting email addresses from our residents for those who we don't have because for many of them we don't have that and if people want to opt into a newsletter I, I think we need to get moving on that that's why I wanted to put that as a discussion topic here we have our our action line system now and we use that to push out uh, zoning agendas trustee agendas so we do have uh, a, a database there of certain email addresses already but I think if we're going to be sending out some other newsletters, we need to start moving with that. I, I don't have a concrete proposal as to how to do that right now, but I thought I wanted to bring that to the board's attention and ask if others have suggestions. Um, we we need to either do this in-house or find a service to do it, which is something that um, Mr. Warwick and, and others can locate. Um, Ms. Gunderson puts together our newsletter primarily now, don't you, Beth? So. Um, so I, I don't know if you have preferences in electronic means yet as to what to do. Maybe you and Mr. Warwick could uh, put your heads together on that as to how to go about it. And, uh, MailChimp is one of the services out there. I know there are plenty of others who are competitors that some local governments use. Um, but I, I think we should put a solicitation of some form in our newsletter asking for those addresses and maybe set up a web form, if nothing else, through our existing action line system where people could go to a specific location on our website to go ahead and enter their address to subscribe for notices going forward. We, we have that to some extent already, so maybe we can just use what we have there for that. Is that working? Yeah, that, I mean, we do have that capability now for people to go in and, and add their name to the distribution list to get the email newsletter. Okay. Um, so, I mean, if we want to do that through constant contact or some other... 
well, or we can gather the addresses through our own system and use whatever we need to to push it out later. Um, I, I suggest that's better left to you guys on, on the staff here since you get to deal with it every day and not us meddlers who are over here voting on things. <laughs> we will look into it. Yeah. yeah, we'll do that in the newsletter. On, on the newsletter. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll get something. <coughs> Mr. Work, anything That's else? That's all I have. Okay. We're going to turn it over now to our head of the zoning department and planning department, Mr. Scott I'm sorry, may I ask one other thing? The law director had one other item on the agenda. Is that off the agenda now? We had skipped over that earlier. Yes. Uh, okay, thank you. Mr. Miller? All right. Yes, sir. Yes. All right, uh, very quickly. Um, the, uh, the township uh, is a member of the Suburban Communities uh, Energy Special Improvement District and ESID. Uh, ESIDs are, are put in place as, a, as the, the public uh, portion of a mechanism to facilitate PACE financing. Uh, PACE stands for Property Assessed Clean Energy. Um, it was established in Ohio back in 2010 uh, by, uh, through state legislation. Um, in practice, it has been primarily a, a commercial financing mechanism for um, uh, energy efficiency, renewable energy projects uh, uh, for commercial development and redevelopment. Uh, there's not so much a change in legislation at this point in time, but uh, there's been some, some practical uh, issues with rolling out residential that I think are, are being overcome. Uh, so the suburban uh, communities, ESID, uh, is expanding their, their functionality and uh, they've, they've adopted a, uh, a residential plan and as part of that because we're members we need to adopt it as well. Uh, in the crowd we have uh, Chris Jones from Brooker and Eckler um, who is our PACE consultant on these matters and he's just going to give a brief overview of um, uh, the ESID and PACE and uh, um, what we're asking for today is adoption of that, uh, that residential plan. Good. Uh, yeah, so again, uh, Chris Jones, Burke and Eckler, uh, you know, for full disclosure, I'm not an attorney, but I am a case uh, expert. And I would just remind uh, all, all of you is that uh, the township's first project was the Kids First Sports Center back in early uh, 17, and I believe there's been uh, a couple of uh, additional commercial property uses since that time. Uh, as Skyler said, back when uh, in 17, when the energy SID was formed, that energy uh, SID board essentially adopted a commercial plan. And so uh, and what that does then is that each commercial property owner who wants to utilize pace financing, you know, comes you know, before the ESID for approval and then in front of the township uh, trustees for approval. Um, as you would imagine, on you know, a single family residential home, that is just not practical. And so you know, it has taken some time to really get the logistics and all the mechanics of that uh, developed. And so essentially what has happened is that the uh, Toledo Port Authority, in conjunction with the other port authorities around the state, <coughs> including the Cincinnati Port, uh, is the lead entity uh, on a statewide uniform residential PACE program. And so each uh, uh, locale that does opt into this, as Skyler said, uh, the first step is that that energy SID does have to approve the residential plan. Then all that does then is allow each individual jurisdiction to also approve the residential plan, uh, which is 
uh, in front of you today via resolution, but then getting into a, a couple of the you know specifics is that there is a cooperative agreement, a residential cooperative agreement, where uh, essentially the township is authorizing the Toledo Port Authority to approve each of those homeowners as they apply for a residential uh, PACE loan. And so, um, so, so that's kind of the first thing on the cooperative plan. Uh, we also do have the residential plan that you would be approving under this resolution, again, the same plan that was approved by the ECID. Um, the other thing I would point out, too, is just far as flow of funds, as you know, in approving in the past, the commercial projects, the township is essentially a pass-through from the special assessment that is uh, placed voluntarily, again, by the property owner on the property. You know, county collects off of the uh, tax bill, you know, forwards to the township, and then township forwards <coughs> to the pace lender. In the residential sector, what will happen is that uh, uh, there will be one, on an annual basis, there will be one piece of legislation where we come back in front of you in roughly July or August ahead of that September special assessment submission. And let's just say that you know, we have three dozen township homeowners actually use and were authorized uh, through PACE in the year, then that would just be a, a, a blanket legislative request to approve those homeowners that had already again, been uh, approved by the, uh, the Port Authority through the, through the program. And then again, it gets put on the homeowner's property tax bill, those special assessments come back, and then at this time there is one PACE lender, and then those you know special assessment funds would then just be uh, sent directly to that pace lender. I'll stop there. Uh, I think those are the main main details. Uh, and so I'll stop there for questions. Okay. I just to clarify a few things. I think you've said much of this, but there's no cost to the township itself in participating in this. Correct. No there's no future tax abatement. The township uh, is facing a loss of potential tax revenues on either. Right. No. Yeah. And so this does. Yeah, it affects just both on the commercial. And it's enabling that parcel owner to do something with special financing, so it gives them an additional tool yeah. in their arsenal to finance energy improvements. That, that is correct, and I guess I would go further to also say is that I like to refer to PACE financing as kind of a clean one-for-one, and one the fact that that special assessment that's sitting on the property owner's tax bill as a line item doesn't really co-mingle with other incentives, like a you know, if it were in a TIF, there's been some projects that have tax credit developments and, and those types of things. And again, obviously, we'll control the township. Okay. Uh, tax assessment is, uh, is requested. It's, uh, it's completely voluntary and requested by the property owner. Okay. And it so. travels with the property. If the property owner were to sell the property, it yes, stays sir. affixed yep. to the property until paid off? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, in, in the contract, I, I'll just note for the record, there's a liability limitation for the township in there as well, that the township is never obligated to cause the payment of anything more than what comes in through these special assessments, correct? So no risk, no downside to the township, in other words. Very good. I, I move, unless there's further discussion, I, I move that we approve we have a resolution. the resolution before us. Uh, Mr. 
Chair, I have a resolution prepared by the uh, Township's administrative staff styled a resolution approving the Suburban Communities Energy Special Improvement District Residential Program Plan, authorizing and approving the execution, delivery, and performance of a Township Residential Pace Cooperative Agreement with respect to property assessed clean energy transactions in cooperation with the Suburban Communities Energy Special Improvement District and the Toledo-Lucas County Port Authority, authorizing the Toledo-Lucas Port Authority to approve petitions and plans for public improvements or public services submitted by the owners of real property within the township, requesting that their property be added to the territory of the Suburban Community Energy Special Improvement District and assessed for the cost of such plans on behalf of the Board of Township Trustees of the Township and dispensing with the second reading. Motion to approve. Second. Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weed? Aye. Mr. Desai, you have another resolution? I do. I have a second resolution also prepared by the Township's administrative staff. Uh, for your consideration, a resolution appointing Skyler R. Miller to serve on the Board of Directors of the Suburban Communities Energy Special Improvement District, Inc., and declaring an emergency. Motion approved. A second. Mr. LaBarber? Aye. Mr. James? Aye. Mr. Weedman? Aye. Okay. All right, next item is uh, development projects. Uh, I, it was, was requested by Mr. Warwick that uh, that we bring a few items to uh, to the board. Um, we are looking for some direction. I apologize here. Hang on. Technology is going to be get better. Of me this morning. So we have three. Uh, we have three potential development projects. Uh, two of them, uh, at least in part, have uh, township-owned land as uh, as a component of. Of these projects, so I know it's, it's way down there. There Here we go. go. There you go. Okay. So, uh, in, in order to move forward on these, we are going to be looking for direction from trustees. Uh, first one is uh, Montgomery Road at Kenwood. Uh, this is actually uh, property wholly owned by the township. Uh, it's approximately six and a half acres. Uh, there has been uh, multiple parties that have uh, um, have notified us of their interest in developing this, this site. Um, there are, uh, with that, there's also two uh, traffic and economic impact studies uh, in this area that may be, um, uh, may be pertinent to the development of this site. And uh, the, the zoning in place is simply just the, the SBI overlay. Uh, so that there's no there's no planned development uh, as it were that's that's uh, that's preset. So uh, because of the because of the, uh, the the multiple parties um, who have interest in this, uh, it may be appropriate to um, to, to notify the public uh, via RFP uh, RFQ that you know if if we are in fact interested in selling this land uh, to. Uh, inter entertain uh, not only bids but uh, proposals for how they would develop the site um, and if that would be um, you know, in conformance to the, to the desires of the board. 
So um, this property was acquired for the purposes of access management. And while Mr. James has suggested that it wasn't in the resolution, I don't believe I, we've ever had issues like that before where we've actually put it in specific for that. But let me say that we did use tax increment finance funds to purchase that. And under the agreement or the service agreement in a tax increment financing district, you have certain things you can and cannot use that money for. Mm -hmm. And for us to just purchase the property because we thought we might want to own it was not one of the one of, one of this one of the uh, permissive things we could do with our tax income and finance dollars from the TIP funds that we used to purchase this property. So it was originally purchased for the purposes of access management. Um, the law requires us to continue to pursue the, the use for access management until which time we've exhausted that. When we exhaust that, then we can go and relinquish the property for other purposes. But at this time, we can't, uh, we have uh, a traffic impact study that we're, we're looking at, and until which time we have that um, uh, completed and we have the ability to use the property for the purposes that we purchased it for originally, we cannot, uh, state law, re re uh, does not allow us to relinquish this property. So I think for uh, for item number one, we are still <coughs> we're, we'll still have to wait until we get the traffic study done before we can actually go sell this property, sell the property or or sell the residual of the property after we have addressed the access management issue that we purchased it for originally. A board of trustees speaks through its motions and its resolutions and its minutes and its decisions. And with all due respect to Mr. Weedman, that may well be the intention of those purchases, but there's nothing in the public record which indicates any purpose of purchasing those properties other than that, uh, quote, if I'm recalling right, the township is desirous of, end quote, purchasing each of those properties. Uh, there's been no specification of the the access management need there was no public purpose stated in fact other than that that plain desire to purchase it in the record and in the minutes if there were discussions outside of the public meetings about that about it uh, being for access management that may have happened and that shouldn't have happened but there's nothing in the record as to that and nothing in the record as to that to overcome frankly uh, Mr. Desai might have an opinion on that or might disagree. I don't know that he's uh, ferreted through all the resolutions out there, but if there is no statement other than the township is desirous of purchasing something, I is that a, a purchase for a specific public purpose? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to go through <coughs> the minutes or the resolutions uh, for the purchase. Um, I would just remind the trustees that um, because this is property that's in excess of $2,500, it would have to be done by auction or competitive sealed bid. Mm -hmm. So um, that would be the only um, advice I'd want to give at this time. I'm happy to look into what language was put into the minutes or the resolutions regarding the purchase. Mm -hmm. Let, let me ask you, if the trustees were to agree unanimously uh, following receipt of an RFP of some kind for some grand project that solves our traffic problems, brings in fabulous tax revenues, and, you know, uh, cures cancer and so forth there, uh, does that still require a competitive bid as well, or is a unanimous vote something sufficient That's to sell property? That's I have heard that, that, that somehow the unanimous vote would, would trump that and certainly would be glad to, to look into that to see if that's the case. 
you know, we have a CIC, and one of the purposes of CICs is to make sure the developer's vision matches the township's vision. And the CIC does allow for direct sale. So these are things that we can, we can um, address through potentially transferring the property to the CIC for sale to somebody, to a developer or a group of developers that may have the same vision. Um, so I think three different things there that we've talked about, but as things stand right now with the property, as I understand it's still being titled in the township's name, I think you're, you're limited to selling it through public auction or competitive bid. Now, if the township were to go the CIC route and transfer the land into the CIC, that, that can be done as a transfer by vote of the trustees, correct? That does not require bidding by the CIC against outsiders. Correct. And that's and, a majority vote. Well, uh, it is, do you know, is that a majority vote? I, don't, I, I believe it is, but I want to double check. That. Okay. I, I would hope we all unify behind some vision as to what would happen with this project anyway, but um, would that I transfer? you guys might be the, the director of the CIC. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is true. Um, would such a transfer have to happen before an RFP occurred? On the other hand, I, I would think not. If it's just contemplating potential uses of property, assuming it's available. Yeah, I mean, I probably would 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 probably. I don't know if you'd want to do an RFP or RFQ, but no, you could do, you could do do it in advance of transferring to the CIC. Okay, I, I think it would be helpful to see some of the com competing visions developers have for the site that might solve our traffic problems as well and bring something nice to the area that doesn't encroach on the neighbors behind it in some way that's disturbing to them either, but that is an overall win for everyone in the township. So I, I think that's something worth proceeding with. You were about to say something, I think. Uh, I, Mr. Desai, not for this discussion, but but for I'm assuming a continuance of it. Um, will you research 505-10-A6 uh, as it as it pertains to the sale of land? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Do we have a um, Mr. Work? Do we get an appraisal back yet? We we had asked for this in October. Do we have an appraisal on the property? We don't have it back yet, but any day now is what they're telling me. Was there some sort of snag in that process? Well, the the board that had asked for a, an appraisal, and the uh, outgoing administrator told them to to drop it. At least that's what they told me. Okay, but it's back on track. Now. Yes. Yes. You know, one thing, Mr. James, that the board might want to consider is if you're going to go through the RFP process to determine. Uh, what visions developers might have out there. That's something the CIC can do as well. Um, and it might make sense to do that on the front end as opposed to doing it on the back end. Um, you know, just to have the CIC being the one that actually puts out the RFP request as opposed to township. Not saying it has to be that way, just suggesting that that might be a better sequence. In, in, in projects of this nature, I know that um, most communities will actually go to an RFQ and not an RFP. I know Montgomery did that for their project at uh, uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Montgomery Road. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's more prudent to do that probably, um, to open it up so that we, uh, we certainly want, uh, this is a kind of the heart and soul of our, uh, of our business district and the last thing we want is to have development done by somebody that maybe is not all that qualified to do it, be, but they came in with a big check to, 
to write because they acquired the property. So I, I think it would be probably more prudent to switch that to an RFQ mm -hmm. and go through the process that way because, um, and, and again, most communities do that in projects that, uh, as, as substantial as this. So, Would you want to do that before <laughs> contemplating a transfer to CIC or either way? I think I think we could we could do that before the RFQ and, uh, and I would recommend uh, before we before we uh, 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 address the CIC issue, but I would suggest that you get with Mon City of Montgomery. Um, yeah, they, yeah. I, I read their RFQ was a pretty good RFQ, <coughs> so um, if you might want to get with them and give you some, it'll give you some guidelines as to how to prepare. They, they did an RFQ for the. Um for the properties around the, the roundabout, the interchange, correct? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. So the two car dealers. Yep. That's good. I think I sent that. Did I include you on that the other day? I, I think I did see it the yeah. other day. Okay. So that's, that's, what, that's where I saw it. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if the CIC is, uh, is necessary based on based on uh, 505 So that's, that's something I think we need to uh, get a full determination on. And th that, that same language also states that it requires unanimous vote of the trustees. Um, if you move that to the CIC, does the does that re is that requirement still in place, or th does it change the um, that approval process? So we'll look at that. And get back to us. Two questions that flow from that. First of all, have we? Uh, updated whatever we need to as to the CIC boards and any other boards we have as to current membership where the members were composed of our former administrator, for example, and former trustees. We would not do that until we have our next meeting, which I believe is March 5th. We just want to make sure we take care of those things, yep. and I assume they require a vote of the trustees for the appointments as well, rather than just assuming someone moves into a position. Um, Second concern, Mr. Weidman raises a valid point about TIF funding being used to purchase some of those properties over time. Um, we need to assess what the impact of that would be in any sale which occurs or in any CIC transfer if, if that actually occurred rather than a sale. Um, I, I don't know what the finances of that particular TIF are right now and whether Mr. Warwick has a handle on that one yet. I know you've been looking at those, but I assume I if the money is captive in the TIF in some way, one option might be just uh, pay off any obligations in the TIF and collapse it, if that made sense at that point. Um, we, we stopped uh, robbing the county of some of their additional tax revenues they'd otherwise be getting if we ended early, on the other hand. But it, is that something you've had a chance to look at as to the? Not yet. We have all the data now for each TIF. We just haven't gone back now and uh, gone through line by line. So I don't really know the, the okay. status of that TIF. Okay. W why did we use TIF money to buy adjacent? land outside of the TIF years ago. Do you know why that was, Mr. Weidman? Uh, I, I can't answer that. I, that was not, uh, Doug could probably answer that probably better than Okay. Me. I assume it's because that's where the money was at the time. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. So it, do we want to continue? It would have, to have been permissive, by the way. Hmm. It, it would have been permissive within the service agreement on that TIF. Oh, I, I know. To I, do that. I'm not suggesting it was illegitimate. Yeah. I, that's where buckets of money are sometimes, and so that would make sense if that's the case. So, so proceeding forward, what do we want to do? What do you suggest? Do we, we continue to get bids on this property or, or, or proposals? Well, well, we haven't received any bids. There's proposals. There's, there's proposals. been some very informal uh, yeah. I suppose from, from, from developers from the public. 
know, just letting us know that they're they're interested in the property. So, I, I think it would be useful to have proposals in some kind, whether it's RFP, RFQ, something. We we need some things to compare in what we're looking at here, uh, and. You know, we have our own visions of what might go there. Other private developers might have some much better vision of what could go there that would provide great balance and a central focal point for our community there. Let, let me look at uh, Montgomery's RFQ okay. and see if we can use that as a, as a template moving forward. That's all right. Yeah. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I know that's the way Montgomery did. They did an RFQ so that consultant people could establish their teams, get that information to them. Once they established those teams, then they went out for an RFP afterwards to get the proposal. All right, any further conversation on item one? Okay. Uh, second is the uh, Reading Road properties. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of a small island uh, portion of the of the township. Uh, there are some uh, some multifamily residences. Some um, there's a, I believe one office building, and then the uh, the, the Drake and, and Carousel properties, uh, which have historically been uh, hotel motel sites. Uh, the township does own approximately 28 acres uh, in this area. Um, very little of that is actually road frontage on Reading Road. Uh, a lot of that property has to be uh, accessed via. Tracy, is it Chaucer? Chaucer, yes. Chaucer, yes. Um, but uh, there has been there has been one uh, developer that has um, uh, notified us of their of their interest in purchasing at least some of that property. Um, so at this time, uh, there uh, there's there hasn't been any uh, zoning approvals that would that would permit uh, immediate development of, of the site. Um, and the, uh, the the Reading Road corridor is uh, that that actual plan that was developed regionally uh, is still under review. I'm actually meeting with them tomorrow um, to see if I can get some some updated information on that. Uh, but in in essence, uh, you know, uh, I was I was asked to, to bring this property to, to your attention and, and see what you would like me to or how you'd like me to proceed. So I'm assuming that Blue Tide is the uh, interested party? Yes, sir. So are you familiar with what they want to do with that? Uh, I am. They, there was a meeting here at the, the township um, where uh, Mr. Pelfrey uh, spoke of his intentions. Uh, there was a multifamily component where he would be um, uh, providing services to, to veterans. Uh, there was also a um, uh, the potential for for renovating some of the office space uh, along the corridor, and then also a uh, uh, an agricultural um, component as well. So, is that consistent with the Reading Road corridor study? That use? I don't believe it fully is consistent now, okay. but I I need to do more research on okay. that. Yeah, I can tell you that we've had conversations with Blue Tide. Um, they were interested in converting the Drake Motel to what they called veteran housing. And I'm all for veterans, helping veterans in, in veterans and, and doing veterans housing. The problem was, A, they were told, that they told us that they couldn't guarantee 
how many would be veterans housing versus would be just for the general general uh, public and they even got to the point where they said well we'll have at least one veteran housing unit so they really weren't all that committed to the veteran housing portion it was kind of like their sales tool to the township the second thing was I met with with Todd Fortune and uh, and Pelfrey and and um, uh, the folks from Roselawn and the folks from Amberley we all met downtown and and um, uh, a it's not consistent at all with the Reading Road corridor plan uh, which they've been working on for a very long time number one number two uh, as was suggested by the representative from Roselawn we don't want to put veterans in the housing that in a unit the size of a jail cell and that's basically what the size of the units were at at the Drake so um, I would proceed with significant caution on this proposal I think um, uh, we should do do significant due diligence on blue tide and what they've done over in other areas because I know there were some issues with with, uh, with some of their properties um, and lastly um, to sell off the property of the former the eight acres of the former Ramada the former Ramada property um, to sell off that was the only frontage we had on Reading Road to do that would decrease the value of the all of the acreage we have behind it uh, because now we we're, we're left with only access through Chaucer so I would be I would caution caution us as to uh, as to to be careful not to make sure that we don't relinquish these the only frontage we have on that road number one and and finally I would say that um, um, one of the reasons we purchased that property was we knew that in the in in a uh, in the near future um, ODOT is working on the through the through the valley plan on I-75 uh, phase 3 4 and 5 are going to come up between 2022 and 2025 and in that process uh, it is engineered for a full exchange as you know the the exchange there at I-75 and Ronald Reagan and Galbraith is a total mess right now but uh, it's engineered for a full change as I understand for for that uh, interchange um, that increases the value substantially of that property you can't go anywhere in central central Hamilton County and find 28 acres developable that that's currently developable the way we have it here in, in uh, on that property so my recommendation would be to tread lightly on uh, on how we proceed until which time uh, the last thing we want to do is sell this pro uh, sell frontage out the blue tide they're using it for a use that really isn't uh, consistent with everything that's been planned on the Reading Road corridor for extended period of time and uh, and then diminish the value of the property we the residual property we do own so uh, I would caution that have we got a uh, do we ever get an appraisal on that we, are we gonna get an appraisal on that can we get an appraisal on that There's, so uh, there is a uh, appraisal from 2007 uh, the, the same uh, uh, appraiser is doing the first project. Um, I believe we've reached out to him to request an update. Okay. But we don't have anything at this time. A couple questions. Uh, one for Mr. Desai, uh, or maybe Mr. Weedman might know uh, if this occurred on purpose. A few years back, the trustees, I think uh, in 2017 possibly, the trustees voted to transfer title 
of one of the two parcels to the CIC. The other was already there. And the title transfer never actually happened after the trustees voted for it to happen. There's no deed of record. I, I know you were looking into that or had that on your list. Have you discovered anything about that, or was there a reason why? So there's still a resolution out there saying transfer it. I, I would yield to uh, I would yield to Doug on that because Doug probably was the person that was supposed to yeah. to, to uh, do that. I was unaware that it was not transferred okay. when we voted on it. I was I assumed that it was being transferred. Yeah, there was no record undoing that resolution later, and nothing that I, I saw about it. So I, I think it's still supposed to happen, uh, but that would unify title in the CIC as to the entire. Uh, 28 acres there, I, I think. So if you would check with Mr. Miller about that, let's find yeah. out what happened. He, yeah, he's out of town until yeah. March, so we will have that answer here in about, about 14 days. Okay. All right. Uh, and, and also, I, I note uh, that, uh, Scholar, you noted on here there's no JED as to those properties, and that's, a, that's an interesting point because we, or our CIC, which we control, uh, is the owner of those properties and could give consent even now, I would think, to imposing a JED on that land, if there's reason to go ahead and do that, if, if someone would partner with us on that. Is there utility in doing that now to make sure it's in place in case there is some change in state law later, um, which might interfere with our ability to do it? That way, uh, we'd be able to collect the income taxes from the commercial district there going forward, regardless of what goes in and, and how it's apportioned. Any thoughts from anyone on that? I don't know if I mean, I'll yield to you, but I don't know that there's a need to uh, accelerate a jet on that property without any uh, development plans. The only, the only thing that I think uh, Mr. James raised the point one, at one time that during construction, you obviously have construction workers who are um, making wages that could be subject to an income tax that we could collect. Mm -hmm. um, so that's potential revenue um, source. Um, the only other thing I would mention is, as you saw from the uh, presentation before, it's not a, a very quick process to get a jet in place. So, um, you know, to your point, yeah, there's probably no rush to do it, but I also wouldn't delay very long if that's the ultimate goal, because you probably have, you know, a 90 to 120 day windup at least if you've got all your ducks in a row to get the jet in place. We have a unique opportunity to do that while we own the property, and it, it's not going to be, or it's unlikely to be residentially developed, I would say, although that's a possibility, and I assume jets can be undone if, if, if that's the case. I don't think we want to impose tax on our, our residents and their households. We've been careful to avoid doing that anywhere. We want to hit up the outsiders for the money, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I think it's something we should look at. We should resolve the title question first, I think, but I think we should potentially revisit this. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. uh, last project uh, for consideration today is uh, Grains at Kenwood. Uh, this is um, uh, this is the there's an office complex that's uh, proposed on Ronald Reagan Road. Um, this, is, this property is actually uh, adjacent to the highway. Uh, it is wholly owned by Nyer Properties. There is a TIF on the site. Uh, we, uh, not we, but there, um, there is a public parking garage uh, that has been financed uh, goes through the port uh, on the site. Um, 
there is at this time there's a need to renegotiate the TIF agreement. Um, Nyer Properties had included a uh, a specific tenant for the, uh, the the first building, uh, which is currently approved uh, and has received full zoning compliance. Um, that named uh, tenant uh, will, will no longer uh, occupy that building. Um, so at this point in time, uh, we need to see, um, I need to see how the, how the board wants to proceed with, uh, with uh, negotiations on that TIF. So what, can I go back to the history on this project? project? Yes, um, so we originally approved this property uh, for, uh, Collectively, this was all owned by, by uh, Nyer Properties. The property included um, all the property that the FBI currently exists, sits on today. It includes the property that the hotel currently sits on today. And it includes the property that, uh, that you're referencing here, the remaining property uh, behind the hotel. Um, in the process, we approved property, uh, approved um, the FBI project with, uh, I believe we have 100 foot setbacks there, if I'm not mistaken, I, I'm not, I, I think that's 100 foot. I think so. Um, we approved the, part of the deal was we, we agreed to uh, TIF on this property to the tune of, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it was seven million. I believe there's seven million available, yes, sir. <coughs> no, there's not seven million available. We ever used some. Uh, but total. Yeah, total. And then an additional one million to mitigate water issues to build the hotel pad. Yes. So we we came to an agreement. The service agreement was signed by the by Nyer Properties. We moved forward on it. We purchased property. We engineered a road. We built the road. We Paid out the million dollars for the pad for uh, the hotel. In that, we got our Jed, which actually part of the that was part of the uh, Jed Z. And we approved 266,000 square feet <coughs> of office. 266,000 square feet of office on that property. Well, when the when Nyer Properties, the downturn came, Nyer Properties came back to us and said, and, and let me just say that the 266,000 using the equation of, uh, that we use to calculate generally what we might, we might gain in joint economic development zone income was significant. Um, that's one of the reasons why we were so interested in, in pursuing this. Um, although we didn't have JEDs in place at the time, we had talked about them for a while. And when, when the uh, estate tax was eliminated in Ohio, that was, that was, it forced us to, to take that route. But at any rate, um, so we had 266,000 square feet approved. Then the downturn came and Nyer Properties came back to us and said, look, we really can't get that finance. We need 60% commitment on the building. We can't get 66% or 60% 60 of 266,000 square feet. We just can't do it. There's no user that big. So we agreed to two 100,000 square foot office buildings. Um, now we are, uh, we are looking at 100,000 square feet of office. We've now cut our JEDS revenue more than in half. 
And one of the reasons why we agreed to, in this November, December, one of the reasons why we agreed to approve the 100,000 square feet of office uh, for the remaining 3.1, I want to say, in TIP, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, we agreed to that because they were going to bring in a uh, Northwest Mutual, which was a, uh, a very significant um, insurance company that would have paid us significantly on our jets, much higher than what our, our base average calculations on jets would have produced. And so the board in November, December agreed to that. Now we're saying we're going to eliminate the, the uh, clause that includes Northwest, Northwest Mutual and allow it to open up to anybody, any tenant that comes into that building. And so you see where we've gone. We've gone from 266,000 square feet to 200,000 square feet to 100,000 square feet with a great financial tenant to now 100,000 square feet with maybe not such a great financial tenant. And so I, I caution the board. Um, we do have a service agreement with Nyer Properties and I think that I caution the board that if we remove that, uh, we remove the clause that includes Northwest Mutual, we should definitely include some form of additional square footage to, to compensate for the loss that we were going to get. I guess that's why it's in front of you today. Um, the staff is not proposing that, that we take that out. Um, without any discussion, it was, it was brought to our attention by Nyer representatives that, that they are they're no longer able to, uh, to secure Northwest mutual. Well all of this discussion is just what I wanted to happen when I asked Skyler to put this on there because we want to we want to have some instruction of what to do next on all of these. The other thing I don't know if you mentioned or not with the Nyer property is this idea that the Port Authority would own, own the garage because they can build it without prevailing wage. And that's another wrinkle that wasn't in there in the beginning, I don't think. It was not. Um, uh, but we just simply want to move these forward in whatever appropriate way because everybody's asking all the time, when, when are we going to do that? Um, so all of the discussion on these things is, is uh, helpful and useful to us. Um, and I think we have a, uh, an idea of two or three things we can uh, go ahead and get done and bring back to you. Um, the one with Nyer is, uh, I mean, the, the zoning's done, they're there. The zoning is approved for, for one of the, the last two. Yeah. And do they own all the property now? Mm -hmm. well, we already agreed on the tip. I don't know why, is there any benefit for the Port Authority to us to go that direction? I mean, we've already, we spent hours going over the, the tip for food. Well, the specific thing that Mr. Wark and I have talked about, and, and I think that um, some of you are aware of, is the way the tip works, we, we have to own the public improvements on the property. And so if the Port Authority is going to come in and it's going to be the Port Authority parking garage, how can we release tip funds for something we don't have? That's sort of the that that's another yeah. issue. Yes, yeah, it's, 
and, and, and my suggestion for that would be, um, because I understand the developer is um, um, uh, championing the idea that it would be a good idea to have the Port Authority do that, is ask them to discuss with the Port Authority how is it that we can release TIF monies for a project we don't know, as opposed to paying me to go out and try to figure that out. Um, you know, Port Authority has some very good attorneys over there, and I suspect they've crossed this bridge before. Good idea. I'll do that. So what other guidance do you need from us right now? Uh, you know what? This one's this one's very open-ended. You know, this is this is the developer coming back to us saying, um, you, know, you know, we can't uh, we can't meet our our obligations under the current agreement. Um, they're they're looking for assistance from us. Um, they were also asking us to uh, to recalculate what the available TIF dollars are on site. They believe they they may need additional improvements uh, for for access purposes. Um, so I'm, I'm trying today at least to, to gauge the, the temperament of uh, of the board on this on this site, and um, I, I don't have a recommendation at this time. I'm I'm looking to you know as I move forward with discussions with uh, with Nair, um, you know again what's the temperament of the board so I can. I can be responsive for that. Some of the Nair people have spoken with me about a few things about it too, and yeah, they're concerned there's not enough money in the TIF to fund the parking there now because it was based on pricing back when we put it in place and parking costs more. That that's apparently part of their concern. You're more familiar with what the finances of that might be than, than me, I think. They've also suggested the FBI building is substantially undervalued in whatever calculations went into figuring its value for TIF purposes. I don't know if that's something revisitable either, of course, but um, I think that's the order. That's the order. Yeah. The order is going to make a decision once the Yeah, we have yeah. to get a board of revision, I would think. Yeah. But, um, and, and in terms of the port being involved, I know I've, I've been asked about that as well. My only concern with that, which I've expressed to you and, and you, mm -hmm. uh, Ray and Skyler, is that we do want to make sure we don't somehow uh, end up with the short end of the stick on that deal as FC Cincinnati managed to do with port funding. As long as we're protected in the end, I don't have a problem with port being involved. They did the Kenwood Collection parking garage as well. And we're not facing any uh, long-term surprises with that that we know of, but we don't want the property ending up tax exempt in the end somehow after whatever TIFs end and, and us not getting revenues from it. Parallel project uh, that we're working on internally, where we're trying to uh, identify all the TIFs and you know their current status as far as what they're producing, uh, what's obligated. Um, you know, before we discuss, you know, uh, making more funds available or, or set, I think we need to um, we need to finish that project. Yes. So. Okay. Okay. Anything else in zoning? Uh, I have one more item. This is just a preview of the uh, the public hearing that will be on March fifth. Uh, this is our first <laughs> technology. 
This is our first case for uh, 2000, or excuse me, 2020. Um, this is uh, 2020-01MA, uh, Myers White Cooper Company. This is the uh, property just down the street from us, the, uh, the, two, uh, the two new office buildings. Um, they are requesting uh, approval of a signage plan in excess of what was approved at the time and in excess of uh, zoning resolution. Essentially, I'll kind of summarize this. The way the way it was approved um, at the time, I believe in 2018, uh, was that each building would uh, would be subject to uh, the standard zoning resolution uh, requirements for signage, which under that calculation would give them uh, two signs per per building. Uh, their This is the site just down the street from us. <clears throat> As you can see from their site plan, uh, they have two entrances per building uh, with a maximum of, of six, uh, six spaces per building. Um, this is modular in, in, in a sense, of depending on their, uh, the, the tenants that they sign on, they can, they can combine these. Um, their fear is that uh, if they have if they have more than two tenants per building, uh, those tenants those additional tenants will not be represented, um, and it'll make their property less viable. So, this is a, uh, a very basic elevation uh, showing what their request would be for uh, if they were to receive uh, maximum occupancy of of six tenants per per building. So they would be asking for six individual signs. Um, fairly small, actually. I think on average they would be uh, between eight and 12 square feet each. And they would all be of a consistent uh, style. Uh, no illumination, uh, either, um, either internally lit or, um, or illuminated from the exterior. But they would be uh, solid post um, Post signs, I guess, is the best way to explain it. Uh, so this is an example from one of their other sites, uh, and as you can see, very, very simple, uh, clean lettering, um, and that's the request. So I won't go into it too much today. I don't want to go into a discussion uh, ahead of the public hearing, uh, but it's been uh, both the practice in the past to um, you know, make you aware of these cases and, and go over it. That's all I have. That's BZA, correct? Please? That's BZA. No, that's actually zoning commission. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Uh, this was a, uh, th this came in as a, uh, a plan development. Okay. Uh, through zoning commission. So uh, the, the increase in sign, uh, signage requires the, the major adjustment. Gotcha. Gotcha. So okay. zoning commission did approve this uh, at their last meeting. And so it'll be in front of you first of March. Okay. Mr. Miller, is that it? That's all I have. Thank you. Now, um, well, I'm sorry. We'll talk about it in the hearing. No, we'll, we'll talk about it in the hearing. Uh, Mr. Fine. Porter, uh, physical officer. Uh, I've got no comment. Nothing. Trustee items. Um, I will just uh, mention that we do have our uh, Hamilton County Township Association meeting coming up on uh, the 27th of uh, of uh, February, which is uh, held annually uh, statutorily by um, the uh, the county 
uh, engineer, and it will be Ted Hubbard's last uh, last meeting. Uh, a, a few comments and requests. I think I mentioned this to Mr. Miller. Or I'm sorry, to Mr. Warwick last week, but I'll mention it to Ms. Gunderson as well. I think she's the one who actually handles this sort of thing. Um, in, in recent years, the board has moved from actually posting, this is technical, but posting uh, text-based PDFs of its resolutions and minutes on the website to a scan of the actual signed documents that the trustees have signed, which I think is a good thing, but they're no longer uh, containing searchable text when that happens. Is it possible to OCR those as well when we put them on there so that there's a searchable public record as well? Do you know if we have that capability? Since I don't know what OCR is. Uh, optical character recognition. It converts the scanned image to text, so it's searchable. Sorry, I'm a geek here, so I, I speak computer. <laughs> it, okay, thank you. I think that would be helpful. Just uh, So we've got a record of what was actually signed, which is the actual resolution or minutes, but it's searchable. Um, and, and also, it, uh, Mr. Janus has pointed this out to me. Uh, vocally a few times, and I, I guess technically he's correct. In our minutes, we sometimes note if someone is absent, we note that they've been excused from the meeting. And uh, we don't really have rules that I know of specifying exactly who has to be at these meetings other than us elected officials anyway. Um, but uh, unless there's a vote of the board choosing to excuse someone, technically there's been no excuse. There's just an absence to note. I, I would suggest stylistically in, in our minutes going forward we, we adopt that practice unless we actually take a vote. But that, that leads to the next uh, consideration, which is I think it would be useful for the board to have some rules about our meetings, actually a little better defined as to what the structure of our meetings are, who we expect to have here typically, um, and, and the order that we'll conduct. That, that gives us some guidelines to work within, so if we start arguing about politics, for example, someone can point to the rules and say, you know, you said in the rules you're not going to go off topic about that, let's stick to the rules. Or if, if there's something else that might be out of order that occurs, we've got some rules to refer to rather than arbitrary picking and choosing about what our rules might be. I know I, I've shared an example with some of the, the staff and maybe some of the trustees, Westchester has a nice set of rules they've adopted for that, for example, and some of the other uh, larger urban townships around us have those as well. So I think that might be useful going forward, and I, I'll, I'll work with uh, the administrator and with Ms. Gunderson perhaps to propose some that we as a board can consider, but I'd invite my fellow trustees to have input on that certainly too, just so we have some basic guidelines of the, the practices we'll follow and who should be here so that we know whether we need to excuse someone or not if they're not here. Um, that's all I've got. Thank you. Uh, we were at the OTA, Ohio um, Township Association meetings in Columbus last week. Went to a whole bunch of meetings, uh, some ideas uh, townships have. I like the business breakfast that uh, Washington Township has in Montgomery County. We, we might think about that. Several other ideas. Um, I-71 and Kenwood Road, uh, our sign there, is it visible? Can we uh, trim the bushes around that sign? It's done now? Okay. And then one of the things I was concerned about was uh, township vehicles. We have township vehicles that I know Kevin Kevin Clark has one for the zoning, and there's no marking on the sides of that vehicle. Can we get markings on that in the same way with uh, Tracy's vehicle? Mr. Warwick? Mm -hmm. We can get some prices and bring them back to you. I don't know if there are other township vehicles out there that don't have markings. No, but I'll, I'll bring this up if I may. Um, 
in, in addition to markings, because uh, uh, Mr. Clark's vehicle is, is stopped on the side of the road quite often, um, I'd like to, to get a price for you uh, for for installing a, a light kit for safety purposes. Sure, great idea. Yeah. 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 We've done that internally in the past, but I, I, I think our, um, our our folks at the fire department uh, have been have been sick and um, unable to do that, and it's it, it's a daily concern for me. So uh, we'll get some prices and bring that back to you. That's a very good idea, and I, I'm sure you know better than me. But there are legal requirements as to what colors you can use and placement and, yes, and all of that. So, okay. Okay. Um, just on the calendar, next uh, township meeting workshop meeting is on March third, nine o'clock, same place. March fifth, uh, Thursday night, seven o'clock township meeting, and uh, motion to adjourn. Second. Uh, Mr. Barber. Aye. Mr. James. Aye. Mr. Weedman. Aye.